The following podcast contains no spoilers, but still some rude words. Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, welcome to We Watched a Thing, um, where we watched a thing at the movies. Yes, yes we did. (laughs) We went to a cinema, Billy. Yeah, how was the experience for you? Was this your first time back in the cinema? Second time back, uh, a few days ago, I got to a retro screening of Heat, which was just the fucking best. Yeah, that that would have been pretty great. Yeah, it was nice being back in the cinema. My wife and I did this one in, in gold class. So, you know, we got, got some drinks, got some got some chicken tendies going. It was it was a good night. It was a good night. Yeah, nice one. <laughs> it does feel good to be back. I, I'm, you know, just a shout out to all of our friends all around the world where you still can't get to the movies. We hope that you're all doing okay. And um, just stay safe. Stay safe. A movie's not worth your life. No. Maybe for some film bros, a Christopher Nolan film comes close, but it's still not (laughs) worth your life. That's right. Today we are, as a special episode, talking about Tenet, of which we were lucky enough to get to advanced screenings of this weekend. The film that was, quote unquote, going to save the cinema industry. Is it worth risking your life for? Let's get into it now. Tenet is a 2020 spy film written and directed by Christopher Nolan, who produced it with Emma Thomas, and it stars John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, Dimple Capita, Michael Caine, and Kenneth Branagh. And what is it about, Tove? Uh, it's about, um, I suspect, this is, <laughs> no, this is just an idea. It's yep. just an idea. Yep. I think it's a, a rescue mission that Christopher Nolan did from a discarded Pierce Brosnan era Bond film yep. that he thought just badly needed to see the light of day. And actually watching the film, I'd never had this thought before, but watching this film, I was like, I reckon I'd be on board with a Robert Pattinson Bond. I could see that. Can you be Batman and Bond at the same time? I think you can. I think you can. wield all the cinematic power. (laughs) I mean, there was that moment in time where where Chris Pratt was heading a, a, a huge number of franchises and there was talk of him for Indiana Jones at the same time as well. I, I could I could see our Pats doing all that. Watching this too, it really badly made me want a, a a remake of Brendan Fraser's Mummy with our Pats in the lead because I think he can really pull off that that goofy charm that Brendan Fraser had as well. I think our Pats can pull. Oh, I'm 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 a big fan of Pattinson. <laughs> I think he's pretty great, actually. Were you about to say you think he can pull anything off? Because I was then going to make a joke about how you'd like him to pull you off. <laughs> yeah, and then I was just decided. <laughs> I, I knew where that line would go and, and, and didn't, you didn't want to give you, you the opportunity. Because you didn't want the, the effort of having to cut that out. You just grabbed the steering wheel and took us there anyway. <laughs> kind of like, you'd like our pads to grab you, right? <laughs> <sighs> it's just, you know, it's that joke you know is coming and there's nothing you can do. Just got to stand there and let it hit you. <laughs> like how you want our pads to hit you. <laughs> <laughs> what a flog. Um. All right, so let's get straight into it. Firstly, I'd just like to say that fans of Nolan won't be disappointed at all, I don't think. If, if you are a Nolan fan, you will like this movie. I, I, would, I would go so far as to say that this is the most Nolan that Nolan has ever Noland. What are your thoughts on that statement? T- to a degree, I certainly agree. Um, and you're, I think you're talking about Nolan fans that have a certain fervour for the filmmaker yeah. that- that I don't have. I really yep. like Chris Nolan films. 
Yeah. I think he is an exceptionally gifted filmmaker. I don't drink from the Nolan fountain of Kool-Aid, though, as quite frankly, a lot of people do. I'm right there with you. I have enjoyed many of Nolan's work. I have also um, found some of them to be flawed and and not necessarily to my taste. Um, and I think that's kind of where I sit with this. And when I say it's the most Nolan ever, I, I think it it is him at his best and at his worst. It's what he does really, really well is highlighted here. And I think his flaws are a little bit overly highlighted in this film as well, for me at least. Yeah, like one one sweeping generalisation you could make about Nolan films is that the guy does spectacle incredibly well. Yeah. He's yeah. not the most gifted at making you care about people. And that I think that absolutely rings true for this film. Yeah. And I think for me, I, I really think that Nolan should maybe think about not writing a film because I think what he does incredibly well, as you say, is coming up with high concept action set pieces. And and he's really, really good at executing these. And he's really good at coming up with these big set pieces. But for me, what doesn't work is what's in between all that. What ties those set pieces together? What does the film actually have to say? And most importantly for me, really high- highlighted in this film is dialogue. I don't think the dialogue in this film... I don't think there's a single line in this film that's spoken that isn't exposition. Like, everything is purely there to explain the story, not even necessarily to move it forward. Like, there's a lot of lines that are just there explaining what is happening as it is happening. And there's a reason that John David Washington's character doesn't even have a name, because it's completely irrelevant. He's not a character. He is just a protagonist. And for me, this misses some actual storytelling. Yeah, and it's, like, I largely agree with that. And it's, it's, I find it strange that for a guy who... In his last film, like, so much of that is just this mad flex of, I don't even need dialogue. Watch me just tell a story with the camera. Yeah. Like, the guy can do it and do it. Like, I think Dunkirk is a borderline masterpiece. I think it is a phenomenal piece of work. And so, like, that's his last film. We know he can do it. And then we get back to this where it's like everyone is... um, What's what's Juno's name again? Ellen Page. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's like everyone is Ellen Page's character from Inception. Yeah. And just asking questions so that somebody can just explain what's going on. And I was like, but we know that you can show us. Yeah. And I swear, like, there's times where I'm just like, wow, there's, because, like, really talented cast. And it's like, if these people can't make this dialogue work. Yes. Then, then this dialogue doesn't totally work. Agreed. And and so let's get on to the cast. I think John David Washington and R. Pats in particular are fantastic. R. Pats is so great in this film. I wish there was more R. Pats in it. I also really liked Aaron Taylor Johnson's screen presence. But to me, that's the thing. Any acting that I liked in this film really does come down to the actor's screen presence and that alone, because I don't think they, I don't think there's a single character in this film that is actually written as a character with a distinct point of view or distinct motives or any kind of identifying, you know, like if you were to just read me a line from this script and say, which character says this, I would not be able to tell you because as I said, it's all just exposition. So props to the actors for at least making me like them. But as you say, I still don't necessarily care about them. Yeah. Like Taylor Johnson's Jason Statham impression. Not bad. Um, (laughs) I'll give it a pass. Um, Agree with the two leads. Really engaging. Um, Yeah. 
hearing, particularly when, when Washington said nuclear holocaust and it just sounded, it was like, if you close your eyes, uh, that's a line that his old man says in Crimson Tide. <laughs> Here we are back to Crimson Tide. Coming, coming out of Washington's mouth, it sounds exactly the same. And I was just like, woo, I'm having fun. Um, <laughs> I dug that. Um, Branner going full Bond villain was, you know, it's fun enough. Yeah. Um, not exactly, you know, it's not stretching the limits of Branner's talents, but um, whatever, he got paid. <laughs> yeah. The biggest character problem for me, and it's probably the biggest plot problem for me as well, is that a bunch of this story hinges on a deep attachment that Washington's protagonist has for the leading lady, played by yeah. Elizabeth Debicki. I, I agree completely, and I'm really glad that you're the one who brought up Elizabeth Debicki because I didn't want to be the one to do it because there's a history on the show of you accusing me of not liking her purely because she's tall. That's not well, the case. Only because, only because that's what you said. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I just said she looked out of place in that film because she was too tall. <laughs> that's that's not a slight on her. She is very tall. <laughs> um, not given a chance to be as tall in this film. I feel like she sits down a lot. <laughs> but anyway, so the look of the film itself, we're back to Hoyt Van Hoytema again, who has collaborated with Nolan a bunch of times. The look of the film itself is great. I think that this is shot really, really nicely, as you would expect for a film with this budget, with this cinematographer, with this director. I think it looks absolutely beautiful. I think the visual effects there are, you know, as you say, there's some great practical shots here, like the plane. There's a bunch of VFX in here as well, done by Dean Egg, and that all ties together really well as well. There's a couple of things about the climactic fight for me. One is that there's just so much going on in two different directions that yeah. personally, like, and if you could completely follow it, good for you. Like, you're doing better than me. I, on my one viewing of it, like, I can't take in everything that's going on and keep no. track of who's yep. meant to be doing what with people moving in different directions through the fucking continuum. So already I'm like, I pretty early on in that, I gave up on trying to track exactly what's happening and just went, yeah. all right, I'm just going to watch some action hit the screen, kind of as I would like in a Marvel movie. Absolutely. Uh, just like, all right, you know, hopefully this is fun rather than like I wasn't gripped. No, oh, absolutely not. I was bored, to be honest. And then the other thing is that the like you touched on it, the quality of the image in this film, and this is absolutely no surprise, is sensational. There's no way, like, these two, Nolan and Hoyter, don't come together and make a crappy image. It's just not going to happen. The problem for me is that so much of the action sequences are shot with the aperture of the lens, if not wide open, pretty close to. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, this is great that, yeah, I know that the person I'm following right now is in focus, but nothing else is. And in an action sequence, I want that reference of environment around the yes. person. Yeah. Um, which a lot of the time in the film you've not given. Yeah. And like, yeah, it looks shit hot, but I'm like, okay, but where is this guy? Yeah. I was going to come to that. I think for me, there are two big issues with the production. And I think the editing is not very strong in this film. Nolan has switched to a different editor for this film. And, and I don't know if that's intentional, but I don't think that it is everything is as clear as it as it could be. I don't think that it it's structurally very well put together. And and maybe part of that is maybe it's meant to be confusing. I'd love to get to the sound if we can, which you've just brought up. Um 
Uh, how did you find the mix for you? Did you have trouble hearing dialogue over the extremely loud um, score and sound effects? Uh, no, no, I didn't in my screening. Neither did I. And th- this is this is a, a complaint that I've seen uh, like a huge amount online. Oh, really? The main complaint I've seen about the production of the film is the mix. And apparently it's a problem that most people have had with many Nolan films. I didn't have the problem. I was able to hear every line of dialogue just about, I think. Weird. But on the score itself, I wasn't a huge fan. It's obviously, you know, going very much for the, the Hans Zimmer sound. You would be easily forgiven for assuming that this score was done by Zimmer. Even like first sequence, the first bit of score you hear, I think, sounds it sounds Zimmery in that kind of Dunkirk continuously raising but not yes. going anywhere weird tone thing. But yes, it's act- and I I don't know if this is the case. It sounds like music being played in reverse. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. So you know, nice tie-in. Good for you. Um. That sounded pretty cool. Ludwig Göransson did the score for this, and I do think channeling his best Zimmer, with it is that kind of droning, as you say, almost unmusical, which I think is what sounds backwards about it. You know, your brain kind of goes, if I played this the other way around, I reckon I might pick up a melody, which I'm not doing at the moment. And I think, as you say, that that's it's an interesting choice. For me, the problem with it is it's, it's continuity. I can't think of a single scene in this film that doesn't have score underneath it which can work really well for this by the end, because it is so unmusical. I really found myself kind of just wanting to claw my ears out because I I don't think a lot of it actually fits the action so much. And there are times where it works really well. There are times where the only tension I'm feeling is because of the score and it is adding that kind of drive. But I think overall for me, I I wasn't a huge fan of the score in this film. Uh, Like that the film mentions... The city of Trondheim. Um, went to Trondheim a couple of years ago. Delightful place. Love to go back. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> um, lo- love the setting, like location-wise, love the settings for the whole film. Oh, yeah, it's great. And it really was shot all over the world too. Like, in, And you can feel that, I think. This feels like an international spy film. And I think that, to me, is where it's at its strongest. I, I really- Not only could I see Arpat's- you know, giving Bond a turn, I could see Nolan directing a Bond film really, really well. Um, because the parts that are just kind of spy thriller in this film really, really work for me. What doesn't work is when it gets really kind of convoluted into this sci-fi mess, which a lot of the time doesn't play by its own rules, which is, that's that's where I kind of get a bit over it. But I think the spy thriller stuff is is really actually very well directed and, and has a, a good sense of fun to it, I think. Pattinson's in almost the, you know, that you, you couldn't substitute one for the other, but it, it's, it is kind of the, the Tom Hardy in Inception kind of yes. role, which to this day remains my favourite Tom Hardy role. I absolutely adore him in Inception. Yeah. I really do think Pattinson is a delight in this film, um, right up until like his last scene where I'm just like, ugh, whatever. But that's kind of just, again, the film... As soon as the film wants me to care about a human, uh, you know, talking peak Nolan here. Yeah. As soon yeah. as it wants me to care about a person. Yeah. Nah, not really. <laughs> I think the thing for me is that, and this is going to sound crazy because Nolan is known for his originality. I think we're at the point now where almost nothing about this movie feels original to me because it is so Nolan. You know, it's like we reached that point with Shyamalan where- you know, you think of The Sixth Sense and then Unbreakable and you're like, wow, this this guy is doing some 
some brave and bold and interesting things. And then he became so shamalund up himself that it it almost became a parody. And that is sadly where I kind of feel like this film feels like it's ba- it's a spiritual sequel to say Inception to me. It's it's I think it's a lot more straightforward than that. But I almost felt like yeah, okay, this feels like a Nolan movie. It didn't it didn't feel original in its execution or in its D- did you feel the same thing or am I just being a bit overly harsh? You might be being overly harsh. Like Inception is several films ago. This and 10 years ago at this point. Yeah. And, you know, his last film dealt with nothing fantastical. It was very much rooted in reality. Yeah. So I'm if if he's going to do this once every 10 years, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I just sadly to me I I didn't I didn't really feel that originality in the film it it felt it just felt like a bit of a, a a blockbuster an action blockbuster to me when i think what you're expecting is to be wowed and and i just didn't really feel that do you think this is the film to save cinemas we've seen that reviews i mean it's early days the embargo just lifted you know a mere 24 hours ago We've seen that reviews have been middling at this point, positive to middling, like not, not, I don't think, I haven't seen any scathing reviews, mostly just kind of the same things we've brought up. Do you think that in a non-COVID world, this would have performed as hoped? Like this is a really, really expensive film. Entirely dependent on how closely does word of mouth catch up with people seeing it. Yeah. yeah. Like you said, the, the reception to this film, and I think we're probably both- in this boat as well, is lukewarm. Yeah. I'm by no means what I tell anyone not to see the film, but, at, you know, to your point, if this is what you're hinging your hopes on rescuing the theatre industry, and that's not the film's fault. The film was always meant to come out when it was meant to come out, and then, of course, 2020 happened. So yeah, none of this is the film's fault, and there's probably... We've probably all, to some degree subconsciously placed an extra layer of expectation on this film, which is not the film's fault. Well, actually, I'm going to go ahead and say it is. I don't know if if we subconsciously have done this. Christopher Nolan himself has done this. He is the one who has touted this film as being the one to save the cinema industry. He's the one who insisted on the studio, you know, continuing to set release dates because he wanted it to be this big release because he kind of did a little bit of the Chris Martin. You know when Chris Martin from Coldplay writes a song and he comes out and he goes, this is the greatest song that's ever been written. I feel like Nolan has done a little bit of that with this film. He's the one who's raised our expectations. Okay. I I never read or heard Nolan say, like, obviously I'm aware of Nolan saying, no, this is not going to premium VOD. My movies are theatrical movies and I love him for that, actually. Yeah. Um, but the movie just carrying this extra weight, which for me, it doesn't, it, it can't bear. Yeah. Because it's not the Godfather. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so on the recommendation front, here's, here's my take. Do I recommend this film? Sure. Particularly to Nolan fans. Like, let's face it. There's a subset of people who know they're going to see this film. They don't, they don't care what we say. If you're like, if you want to see this film, you're going to see this film. If you're in a part of the world where it's maybe not, absolutely safe to go to a cinema yet my recommendation is that you can you can wait for this one i i personally didn't feel like the cinema experience added enough to this film 
if if it's going to cause danger to your life. <laughs> that's that, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just my quietly. take. It's it's a it's a really it honestly it's a soft recommend for me. There are certain people, like I said, Nolan fans. I would say, yep, you're going to see this movie. For the most part, I wouldn't say I'm strongly recommending this though. I think it's fine. I think it's in the lower half of Nolan's filmography, and it's fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to say, you know what's grown on me more and more is Interstellar. Like, I actually think that movie is a is a little bit um, underrated. And I guess not underrated because that one is much more divisive. People seem to either really, really love or really, really hate this film. It's less of the kind of middling. Um, but, yeah, that's really grown on me. I think that's right up there for me in terms of Nolan. It's Dunkirk for me that just grows in my estimation. Yeah. Look, and I, I got to say, that's the thing that I love about Nolan is that he- he does make bold, interesting choices and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And it's it's very subjective because for me, I, I didn't personally love Dunkirk. So, more power to him though. And I agree with you. I Like, props to him for not letting this go to VOD. Like, a, as a creative, you should have more of a say in how things happen when it's related to your work. So, got him for sticking by it. All right. So, how are you scoring it then? I'm a six out of 10. I had a, I had a pretty good time in the cinema. Um, I don't think it's bad. It's got a bunch of Nolan issues, and then it's got some just straight up narrative film issues. Yeah, but not enough to make me dislike it. No, I agree. I'm a five out of ten. I kind of think this film is fine. To me, you brought up the MCU before, and that's kind of where this sits for me. This it it just it's it's an action blockbuster. It's a bit of fun, but it's not it's not brilliant. It's it's fine. It kind of bums me out because, like, the, the level of execution and thought that must have gone into so many of those scenes, which I'm then just like, eh, not really doing it for me. That's a bummer for the amount of people that made it happen. That's that's my issue with it, too, is I agree with you. The execution can be so great, but it is brought down by a really, really bogged exposition script with very unfleshed out character. Like, there's there are too many flaws to me to get it above the- the very middling five. I wish I could give this a six or higher because production-wise, there are some really amazing things about it. But as far as, and you you said it, narrative storytelling issues, it just brings it down too far for me. That um, That's the end of that. <laughs> Thank you to all the one-time listeners who are Nolan fans who will never come back. <laughs> yes, we apologize. It was, good, it was good to have you for one week. <laughs> If you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing, and we will maybe catch you next week, unless you're a Nolan fan. (laughs) (laughs) 